Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast of These Present Days. And this is part three of what I titled Crisis Control. And the premise is that we are in the midst of a spiritual crisis, a supernatural spiritual crisis in this country and in this world right now. And so let's open in prayer and get right into part three. Heavenly Father, thank you for the additional information that is invaluable for all of us living in these present days. I thank you, Lord God, for equipping us and preparing us for what is to come and what's going on all around us already. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the equipment, um, not only for our own use, but also for the rescue of other people and also the working knowledge that we can share with people of faith that are already in covenant with you that need to be empowered and equipped themselves. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for all of these things, and we say amen. So this last one is concerning the confrontation of the enemy. Because first you have to expose before you can oppose. And so we need to expose him and go at it like that, where the enemy is sometimes called out by name. You know, Jesus asked this one man that was bound by chains in a graveyard that was naked and was not able to be kept uh, bound because he'd break the chains, superhuman strength. And the man cried out, are you come to torment us before our time? And it wasn't just a single man that was doing the talking behind him. It was a legion of demons. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he said, we're, we're called legion, for we are many. And so sometimes Jesus would take the approach of getting the name of the demonic spirit and then taking care of him based upon the name. Because there's something about the name. Because we have Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about how God highly exalted Jesus and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess to his lordship, to the glory of God, beings on earth, or beings in the heaven, beings on earth, and beings beneath the earth. And the beings are spiritual beings in the heavens, of course, natural and spiritual on the earth, and natural, or actually all spiritual beings within the earth in compartments called hell. And so we start right here with identifying. you got to identify first. That's the exposure. Once you expose, then you can oppose. If you know it's the devil, then you go at it as the devil. You don't go a blanket statement like, well, if there is a demon here somewhere, I rebuke you, man, and I command you to leave. Um, he's going to duck that shot. You know, you just fired off over his head and missed him by a mile, and he's just going to duck down and play it low for a minute. Okay, so we need to identify, and many times you identify the spirit by what the manifestation is in the person. Deaf and dumb, blind spirit. Deaf, dumb, and blind spirit. Jesus casts those out all the time. Other kinds of different spirits. Unclean spirit. He could see that they're unclean. They're eating out of garbage cans or unclean. Maybe they're doing things nasty, you know, with themselves and with other people. Unclean spirit. So let's get right into it. Identify. We need to aim. We need to na the name or the activity to identify him. Mark chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. New English translation. Mark 9, 20 through 27. 
It says, so they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. In verse 22, it has often thrown him into fire. Uh, once again, just go back to that. The devil, when he attacks and when he takes possession of people, he is going to demonstrate what he's about. And so he's trying to kill him. He's trying to murder him. He's not trying to just play with him. He's not trying to just agitate him. He is attacking the child and doing great harm to him. And so, yes, we... Where did I leave off at? There we go. After the man said, if you're able to do anything to help us, you know, please help us. And Jesus said to him, in verse 23, if you're able, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, mute and deaf spirit, calls him by mute and deaf, mute and deaf. Isn't that interesting? The demon threw him in the water in the fire trying to kill him, but it kept him from being able to speak and it kept him from being able to hear. Wow. Now when Jesus saw the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit. You see, Jesus isn't waiting around for the crowd because another attribute or trait, the devil wants attention. He is the original attention deficit disorder person. He wants attention. He wants attention. He wants to distract. He wants to pull it all over to himself. And so he saw the crowd was quickly gathering. He rebuked him. And rebuking him is resisting him. It's the same thing. You know, you rebuke, you stand against, you know, or you renounce his uh, ability to hold that territory under his power anymore. The territory being the, the, the kid, the boy, the child. And he said, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, mutant deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. It shrieked, threw him into, a terrible, into terrible convulsions, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus gently took his hand and raised him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, the devil is going to try to kick and scream all the way out. He wants attention. Remember that? The crowd was coming, and so the crowd got a little bit of a show. You know, not much, you know, because Jesus moved on it quickly. And so this right here is Jesus attacking on a, spare, on a level that is seen by people publicly, but is totally a spiritual transaction. He's using his authority. He's using his commands and his power of command. And the devil is leaving him. And on the way out, the devil is affecting the natural realm because he is pouting. He is disagreeing with letting him go. He doesn't want to let him go. He's putting up a little bit of a fight. And that's all that Jesus would allow. Not, not much. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, the New English Bible says it like this, New English translation. So they came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the, of the Gergesenes, just as Jesus was getting out of the boat. I told you about this. I just did it by ad lib, but we're reading it now. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit, a man with an unclean spirit, came from the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs. See, you're unclean when you're living in the tombs. That was, that was one of the things in the ancient 
um, laws that Moses received when the nation of Israel came out of Egyptian uh, slavery is that he got hygiene laws. And if you touch a dead person, you're unclean. If you touch a woman on her menstrual cycle, you're unclean. You know, so people didn't grab the, the, the dead and hug them like they, they do in some funeral services nowadays, you know. Um, back in that day, they wouldn't touch it. And for good reason. There's, there's the uh, transmission of bacteria and sometimes virus and stuff. And so it said, just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, the unclean spirit came from the tombs and met him. It's interesting because he came to him. So he's struggling. He's half, half of him wants help. The other half wants to maintain his position. And so it says about him living among the tombs, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He's breaking chains. For his hands and feet had often been bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Why was he doing that? Because he's miserable, because he's conflicted. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. Then he cried out with a loud voice, Leave me alone, Jesus, Son of the Most High. I implore you by God, do not torment me. What part of him was that? That was the demon. For Jesus, it says in verse 8, had said to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. When did Jesus say that? We didn't get any record of that. He said it with a low tone of voice, maybe whispered it, maybe just inside. He said it within himself. That's how powerful it is. And the spirit picked it up. Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. I believe he said it in a real soft voice because um, they didn't, in, the, in the, the scriptures right here, they didn't report that he said it. It didn't, it didn't come out that he said anything out loud. It's telling it right here, you know, that the demon picked up on it first before they introduced the fact that Jesus had said that to him. In verse 10, he begged Jesus repeatedly not, or excuse me, verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Well, Legion, you have an unclean spirit. Legion is, is, is 6,000 of something. They used to use that for a legion of soldiers that are out in the battlefield. That would be 6,000 soldiers. And so this was a lot of demons, a lot of a lot of oppression and possession going on here. A lot of the time, maybe most of the time, the man was not in his human mind. He was taken over by the thinking and behaving of the animalistic uh, nature of the demon spirits that were in him. And so he acted pretty much like an animal, just like Nebuchadnezzar when he had uh, crossed God long enough and God finally... Uh, put a curse on him. He lost his natural mind, and he went out for the next seven years grazing like a cow on the North Forty. And it says that the dew would would rest upon him in the evening and be and be evaporated during the day. He's out in the sun and in the, in the in the starry sky every single night for seven years. So that was a snap of the mind, an opening for a demon to take possession. And so he would beg Jesus, verse 10, repeatedly not to send him out of the region because he wanted to still work within the region of all the people there. 
<clears throat> he begged Jesus repeatedly not to send them out of the region. There on the hillside, a great herd of pigs was feeding, and the demonic spirits begged him, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. And you know why Jesus went ahead, he gave them permission in verse 13? So the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake, and about 2,000 were drowned in the lake. 6,000 demons went into 2,000 pigs. You do the math. And they destroyed them. And why did Jesus let that? Because these are Samaritans. These are half Jew, half Gentile in the Gadarenes area. And it's not legal for Jews to be eating pig. Pork was forbidden. So there could be backslidden Jews, but it's still, nevertheless, they're disobedient. And on top of that, um, they were selling them. They weren't just eating all 2,000 pigs for themselves. They were making money off of that with the Gentiles and with backslidden Christians, I mean, backslidden Jews. And so Jesus saw the whole network of corruption and, and vice going on right here. And so he's, he looked around, you know, they wanted to leave the area. I mean, they, they didn't want to leave the area, and they begged him not to send them out of the area, and Jesus saw a reason for leaving them in the area. He sent them into that, and so he killed two birds with one stone. He got, got rid of that, that little operation that those guys had, and he got rid of the demons inside the man, not to let them ever back inside the man. And he spoke to the 6,000 demons. He didn't call them by all 6,000 of you, legion or anything like that. He just said, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Now, when the Bible says anything about casting out, the word is ekbalo in the Greek language, E-K-B-A-L-L-O, ekbalo, out throwing. And the, and the implication is outward from the inside out. In other words, when Jesus said these words, come out of that man, you unclean spirit, that was a hand grenade. He pulled a pin on it. He took it and shoved it down the guy's throat, and it blew up, and it blew the demons out. I'm just doing it like a cartoon, but it's all from the inside out. That you don't, it's not like he reaches into a hat, you know, like the old Bullwinkle, Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons when I was a kid growing up, and they would have a magician go, eeny, meeny, chilly, beeny, the spirit's about to speak. And then he reached into a hat and it pulls out a lion, you know, and he drops it back in. He goes, whoops, whoops, wrong hat. <laughs> you know, and so when these demons were cast out, they didn't have Jesus reach his hand down inside of him, pull him out, or Jesus just speak to them and they obediently marched right on out. And he spoke to them from the outside, went into the man's ears, you know, and the demons inside heard him, and they just marched out. Nope. He sent something inside of them, inside of him, and it propelled them out. It expelled them out. And I'm going to get more into casting out a little bit later, but we're starting right here with this one, this story, to kind of establish the identity part. You know, he's establishing identity by what they do. He's establishing identity by what they say that they're about. But mostly, you know, you're not going to get the truth all the time, you know, from those demonic spirits. They don't have an obligation to tell you the truth. They're liars, and the father of lies is their father. And so every once in a while, they will say it straight. They will speak, you know, what they are. Sometimes, you know, because they 
have such a foothold, they think they're invincible. Like in this case, there's 6,000 of us. We've been here for uh, 100 years, you know. What are you going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to pull the pin on the hand grenade and drop it down your neck. <laughs> He's going to get him out of there. And so after identifying, we're going to talk about fortifying. Why don't you go with Matt, to me if Matthew... To me, to Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. We need to fortify against the evil spirit's return. After we identify and expel, we fortify and keep them where they belong on their way to hell. Matthew 12, 43, New English translation says it like this. When an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it passes through waterless places looking for rest but does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the home I left. When it returns, it finds the house empty, swept, clean, and put in order. Then it goes and bring, brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there, so the last state of that person is worse than the first. It would be that way for this evil generation as well. Wow. Jesus used this statement. This is, sta this is a statement, of a, 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 little, a literal statement of how these things work. Of when it goes out and what it thinks and what area it goes out into. Verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it passes through waterless places looking for rest, but does not find it. You have no idea how many times when I'm dealing with people that are demonized that I find over the years that they're always extra thirsty. They could drink a gallon of water right in front of me. And that's a telltale sign of what's going on inside of them. They don't even know that they're doing it. They're asking for more water, for more water for at a restaurant, or, and I'm getting you know information from them, just talking to them, just feeling it out. Or if they're in my home, or if they're in the church. I've, I've done demon exorcisms all over the place. And if they don't have accessible avenues for liquid, you know, they'll mention it often. They'll mention it, I'm thirsty. I'm really getting thirsty. My throat is dry. I'm and it's like, oh my gosh, um, you can't even hide, you know, like you're playing hide and seek Satan, trying to hide behind all kinds of facades to stay in this guy a little bit longer or this girl a little bit longer. And you can't even keep your mouth shut about how thirsty you are. Dear Lord. So when an unclean spirit goes out of a person that passes through waterless places and Places looking for rest but doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the home. That's going to cause him to start looking for that place again. He calls that wet place a human being. That wet place, because we're 70% water, a human being. And they call in the military, you know, wet work is when you're shedding blood. You're out there killing people, shedding blood. I mean, the mafioso probably says the same things when they send a, a, a hitman out. You know, he's got some wet work to do. Because, you know, blood's going to be shed. And so he says, I'll return to my home. I'll return to the home I left. I hate that. Because it's just the thought of it just creeps you out. That the devil thinks that you or me or any person that it gets occupation within, that that's their home now. I hate, well, I really don't hate in a destructive way because I let them live and let live. You know, but I can't stand spiders. I can't stand walking into a spider web right in my face at night. I hate that. I've done that so many times. 
And I started just swinging at everything, you know, just swinging and scraping it all across my face and my head, my shoulders. I started dusting them off, everything. Because I want to kill that spider now. <laughs> I want to kill that thing. And so it's kind of like um, the devil when he is, when everything is swept clean and put in order. See that put in order things? Um, nice and tidy. What happens is, is that if it was occupied by somebody, it'd be a little bit messy. I don't mean messy in an evil sense or, you know, in a nasty sense. It'd be a little bit messy. It'd have, you know, stuff in place that shows that life is in there. Um, you know, like in some places, you know, clothes would be all thrown all over the place and you know, there'd be some dirty dishes on the counter, something like that. And so just using that as an illustration, when he sees that it's empty, what, we sh what should we be decorating the inside of us if we got alleviated of a demon occupation? What should we occupy ourselves with? Duh. You see, if you ask a little, a little child where did Jesus live, he doesn't point across the globe over like Mecca, you know, to Jerusalem, the holy city of the holy God. Nope. He doesn't point up into the heavens. Nope. He points at his little heart. Jesus lives inside of here. That's true. That's where Jesus lives. But if you're casting demons out of a person who's not saved, Jesus doesn't live there yet. And so it behooves you to take the responsibility before you ever cast a devil out of a person to make sure you can follow it up with salvation and discipleship. Because it'll be worse seven times, worse seven times worse than it was before you met that person. So do yourself and that person a favor and don't multiply the pain. So we need to make sure that we can follow up and we need to know how to follow up. First of all, Jesus gets in the, the driver's seat of that person's life and Jesus occupies as a habitation that person and the Word of God is the foundation of how to live like a Jesus follower in the first place so you're lining your walls with all kinds of things that remind you. And I don't mean lining your literal walls. I'm talking about the walls inside your heart. You know, because in the ancient world, they would put up a phylactery upon their forehead and upon the doors, uh, the lentils, you know, the, the, the header of the doors that they walk in and out of. Uh, the house to remind them that the Scripture is the most important part of their life, the Scripture, the Holy Scripture, the Word of God, the Holy Word of God. And so they had a, a little phylactery that was leather, like a leather pouch that had a, a, a way to put a scripture that has been written down on parchment paper on the inside. And that would represent the word, and they would kiss it. They would touch it, at least when they walked by it, to remind them of be, to be people about the word, people of the word, people of the book. And so that would be the lining of the house on the inside, like you would decorate a house literally, you put pictures up. And I remember when, you know, Debbie and I would go to Bible bookstores back in the days when they had them, and I even used to make things that were sold in Bible bookstores by hand. 
uh, me and, uh, and another minister, we used to make by hand just to, you know, just to get them into bookstores and sell them little plaques and had scriptures on them with little carvings and stuff out of wood. And we'd, we'd, we'd do that and you put them on the wall and you walk around the place and the place is decorated. The place is not swept and not, you know, garnished and not, you know, everything put in order nice and neat like it's not occupied. It looks occupied. And that's the point. The devil is going to try to seek to get back and the relapse of that person would be seven times worse than the initial attack. And so we need to, re need to assume the responsibility of that person. The next thing about that we're going to look at along these lines, when you're fortifying against the return of evil spirits, um, we need to be aggressive in our resistance of this evil spirit. So I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Just go back to chapter 12, verse 22, where you're already in chapter 12. And we need to be aggressive in the resistance. Aggressive in the resistance. And it says in verse 22, Then a man was brought before Jesus who had a demon spirit that made him both blind and mute. Jesus healed him instantly, and he could see and talk again. The crowds went wild and with amazement, and as they witnessed, as they witnessed this miracle, and they kept saying to one another, Could this man be the Messiah? But when the Pharisees overheard what the people were saying, they said, He cast out demons by the power of Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts and motives. So he told them this parable. Any kingdom that fights against itself is reduced to ruins. And any family or community splintered by strife will fall apart. So if Satan cast out Satan, he is making war on himself. How then could his kingdom stand? So if Satan empowers me to cast out demons, who empowers your exorcists to cast them out? Ooh, go ask them. Let them be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the power of the Spirit of God, then the end of Satan's kingdom has come. Who would dare enter the house of a mighty man and steal his property? First, he must be overpowered and tied up by one who is stronger than him. Then his entire house can be plundered. Mm, so what is he saying? He's saying he's aggressive. When he did this, he's aggressive. He went, he went in. How did he get inside of the house? The house is the man. The house is the man. And how did he get inside the house? Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus. The Word was made flesh. When we speak the Word, we speak the Word from our own hearts. The Word is one with us and we speak it, we're actually going in there just like Jesus did when we toss the word into that person because we're not just tossing the word at that person or to that person. We're tossing the word in that person because the word that we say is explosive in dunamis power. And so from the inside out, that person's going to be exorcised. The demon's going to be blown out. Hmm. Excuse me. I needed to take a drink. <laughs> no, I'm doing all the talking. Anyway, so we got to be aggressive, and we need to understand that when he's talking about any kingdom divided against itself cannot stand in defending the things that he had just done, it says in other translations, any kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Any house, city, 
or kingdom. He lists all three in the original New King, in the original King James and New King James. Any kingdom, no kingdom can stand, nor city, nor house divided against itself shall not stand. And so he considers that this is a house, that this is a house like we saw later in the chapter, in verses 43 through 45, we just got through reading, he comes back and says to himself, he returns to the home he left, and he finds the house swept and empty, empty, empty. The house is a human being. Like I said before, that gives you the creeps, that he looks at us as human being, I mean, us human beings as houses to occupy, houses to live in, Houses to decorate the way you want them. Houses to desecrate. So, Jesus was aggressive about this. And if he cast out Satan by the Spirit of God, other translation in the book of Luke, it says, if I cast out Satan by the finger of God. And so God doesn't waste much energy on this guy. Because the devil is eternally defeated now, even more so than when Jesus was walking around the world and casting him out in person himself. Because he went down into hell and destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and came back with a greater name than he had before. And he's given that name unto us to utilize. And so this is one of our tools, using the name of Jesus and tossing that inside of the situation. How about that? Because, you see, here's what we have to work with. Number one. We have the Word of God. When we come up against a demon, we recognize it, we identify it, we're going to resist it, we're going to put up um, an aggressive front to it right now. And we've taken into consideration all the different factors, the moving parts, you know, the follow-up, because we don't want to leave people just hanging. If this is a real demon manifestation, and it seems to have a permanent occupation or habitation there, it's been occupying for some time, and it's sophisticated. Sophisticated. We got to get them out of there. When you get them out of there, it's going to go looking for places, and it's not going to find any place. It's going to come back, and so we know that. So uh, there's a follow-up in place, and so the word of God that delivered them from that demon. When you spoke the word, you spoke the commands of the word of God to that demon in the name of Jesus. So that's another thing that gives us power. First of all, God has authorized us to do this. Jesus authorized his 12 disciples, and even 70, he sent them out and <clears throat> had them go into cities to lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, all this stuff. He gave them authority, and God has authorized us today. He gives us authority. And so we have the authority, we have the right to address these things. We have the name of Jesus, we have the Word of God, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit works and manifests his gifts in us, such as the discerning of spirits, hello, and so we can many times have that gift kick in as the Spirit wills, and we discern the spirits there, and then we go right at them, and we don't even need to ask them any questions, just go right at them and cast them out of there and all of them and know if we're finished or not. And so then, with all of this being said and done, you know, because we're using all of our tools, you know, the authority that we've been given, you know, the, the birthright that we have, the relationship with the Father that we have, the name of His Son Jesus at our fingertips and at our tongue tips, you know, the, like I said, the uh, 
scriptures that we quote, you know, like Satan, you know, was rebuked three times by Jesus. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And, Je and Satan left him for a season. And he came back later. Of course, he's going to you know, con 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 continue to try to harass him through stirring up the crowds against him and stuff like this. You know, but he knocked him out of the ballpark with it is written, it is written, it is written, because the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus quickened those scriptures to him to give answer to him why he wasn't going to take the bait in the temptations. And so he put him in his place and kept him at bay, and he defeated him three straight times by the scriptures. So don't, don't underestimate the power of the scriptures that we use on the devil. You know, such as, greater is he that's in me that's in the world, you, Satan. Oh, and the God of peace, by the way, Satan, is crushing you beneath my feet swiftly, you know, Satan. And so you're just telling him, you're eternally defeated, Satan, that we've overcome you. I'm overcoming you by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony, testifying what the blood of, of Jesus has done. It brought me into covenant with him. It, it sealed me as one united with Jesus. And so Jesus, that you couldn't handle, is still on the earth inside of me that you can't handle. Let's go to the book of James. The book of James, chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Book of James, Passion Translation, chapter 4. This is about aggressively resisting. Here we go. Does the scripture mean nothing to you? In verse 5, I'm sorry. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit of, that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us, for it says God resists you when you are proud, because pride resists God, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Verse 7, so then surrender to God, stand up to the devil, and resist him, and he will flee in agony. Mm. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Ooh, don't doubt. He, he, he zeroed in and, and talked about what their main sin was. He said, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. And so you can't approach this situation of shutting down the devil, getting rid of the devil, stopping the devil without being aggressive in faith, faith that doesn't have any second guessing, faith that isn't questioning, faith that has no doubt. Mm. So we resist him, and he will flee in agony. The Bible says in other translations, he will flee in terror. It terrorizes them when we resist him in the name of Jesus, standing up to him. And so it says in verse 7 again, so then surrender to God. That's the first thing. you got to surrender to God. you got to be in God's hands. you got to be doing what God wants you to do. And so don't ever take this thing on just because you have the badge on your chest that says exorcist. No. No. Jesus was the greatest exorcist that ever lived, but he never called himself or went by the name exorcist or look for that. In fact, he told his disciples to downplay that. Instead of rejoicing that the demons are subject to you in my name, rather rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He got the priorities switched back to the way it's supposed to be. In Proverbs chapter 28, 
in verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to quote it you know, to you. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You see, because you're in the right, you have the might. But if you're not in the right, don't get in the fight. My dad one time told me that I could go ahead and fight because I told him about this bully picking on, on me and other kids at the bus stop. He was a big oaf of a kid. You know, he probably grew into his man body by the time he was 12. And so I uh, told my dad about it. My dad said, let me show you a couple of things you can do. My dad taught me to do some things. And uh, it was just a simple thing where when the kid pushes you and he pushes you in your chest, he said, my dad said, cover his hands with your hands and pin him against your chest. And then he said, roll backwards and pull his hands and arms with you. Put your foot in his stomach or higher up if you can get there in his chest as you roll back and flip him over and he'll be slammed on his back and it'll knock the wind out of him. And I did it and it worked. It was amazing. Amazing. But my dad warned me. He said, if you're in the wrong, son, and you get in a fight, you'll lose because your heart won't back you up. If you're in the right, son, if you're defending someone that's being harmed or if you're being harmed and you stand up and defend yourself and you're in the right, your heart will back you up and you won't ever lose the fight. And so that's the way we got to approach this. When we go against the enemy, we are bold as a lion because we are the righteous. Next, the words casting out. We see that in places, you know, that from time to time the words are put together and used and he expels the demons and other translation. But it comes out to the same thing, ekbalo. Ekbalo is always the Greek word that's used. It means to expel from the inside out. In Matthew 12, once again, in verses 22 to 30, look at it with me in the King James, New King James. Then one who was brought to him was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city, you see it mentioned city, or house, see it mentioned a house, divided against itself will not stand. You see, we can't allow ourselves to be divided against ourselves. We can't allow ourselves to be 50-50, half in, half out, one foot in, one foot out. We can't allow that. We can't allow that because we're not going to be effective when we come up against these things that are in situations and people that we live by, work by, go to school, sit next to sometimes. And so if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself, and how then will his kingdom stand? He just goes on and mentions the same things again. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom your sons, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come to you. And so it's establishing the kingdom of God every time somebody's healed or delivered. And this guy was healed of deafness and muteness because it was a demon. And so he delivered too. And so how can anyone enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he's first binds the strong man, and then he'll plunder his house. Remember that word, binds. I'm going to use that word at the very end of this session today. 
he binds the strong man, then he'll plunder his house. He didn't say he got the strong man out of his house. He threw the strong man out of his house. He rebuked and evicted the strong man out of his house. He bound the strong man, left him in the house. Mm. And then he plundered the house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And so we can't be conflicted ourselves. I mean, we can't be all hot to trot every Sunday and every Wednesday, going to church and being in the services and then going out and witnessing maybe on the sidewalk when they have a little thing on the sidewalk. And then the rest of the time, just like allowing demonic infiltration and influence to go on around you and uh, not even putting up a shield. I mean, I don't expect you to be casting out demons you know, if you got invited to somebody's birthday party and everybody's standing around getting drunk and uh, acting stupid and acting crazy and you're not joining in with them, you know, but you're mingling with them and you're complicit to what's going on with them and they might start getting nasty and you say, well, I'm just going to go home now, you know, but you didn't do anything in the middle of all that. And why put yourself in a position of being exposed to certain things that can be kind of dropped off on you, kind of, you know, like, listen, 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 listen. You know that germs, virus, bacteria, most of them are transmitted by contact. We know that. Okay, somebody wipes their nose and shakes your hand, guess what you got? A handful of snot. <laughs> and you're hot to trot. I'll just stop right there. But we need to start thinking in, in sense of spiritual things being handed by a pat on the back from somebody who's a, a paramour you know, maybe a child molester or something like this, and just not be oblivious to it anymore, but not be necessarily, you know, legalistic about it and trying to, to cast devils out of everything that moves. We just got to be aware. And we got to be on the alert, you know, for our own sake, but also for the sake of other people. I mean, you see some guy over in the corner sniffing some little girl's hair and giving her lots of hugs and acting creepy and stuff like this, maybe we should intervene by at least speaking under our breath or maybe going off into another room, speaking to the damnable spirit behind that character over there in the room in broad daylight in front of everybody that's too drunk to care. I'm just saying. It's stuff you got to consider because to whom much is given, much is required. But... The main thing that I'm trying to get across to you is not the exorcism of these demons because they're just playing musical chairs, people. They'll just move from one to another. We have to, we have to live in the midst of them right now and they know that their time is short and they're coming with a vengeance, a sense of urgency. We should be no less aggressive in canceling their assignments wherever they cross with us canceling it, and getting rid of it when we need to, if God so leads us, getting rid of that thing, that illicit occupier. Mm. So, in Proverbs 22, in verse 10, it says this, and I want you to get the image of this. It says, cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. You see, you cast out, it says to cast out the scoffer. What do you get in your mind when I read that? You get in your mind, 
that there's a person inside of a room, maybe a house, maybe a, a room somewhere, they rented a room. There's somebody in the room and there's other people in the room and they scoff. This one guy's a scoffer. This one, maybe it's a gal, a scoffing, scoffing person and contention and strife and reproach are along with the scoffer. That's what's mentioned here in verse 10 of Proverbs 22, King, New King James. And the image I get is somebody grabbing a guy, if it's a guy, by the scuff of the neck, you know, the, in other words, the back of his shirt, by, behind his neck, and the seat of his pants, you know, where his belt is on his waist, and showing him the door or making a new doorway with him and getting him out of there. And you throw him out, and what goes out with him? Uh, the scoffing, the contention, the strife, and the reproach will cease. They're all gone. And so that's the reason I use that, because the words cast out are used right there. And we're talking about casting out something, right? Cast it out. Don't let it stay there. Cast it out. Matthew 8, 16 and 17. Verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. But he cast out the spirits. And the spirits and the infirmities are sometimes one and the same. A spirit of an infirmity could be in there. And he cast them out that it might be fulfilled. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And it wasn't even going to the cross time yet. That's a quote from Isaiah 53 when he went to the cross. But he was doing it prior to that. And so they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. They brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Huh. Didn't say, didn't say they brought to him many that were sick this time, said many who were demon-possessed. Wow. The word demon-possessed isn't a real combination in the Greek language. It's called demonized. In other words, under the control of the demon. There's no such thing as devil possessing anything this side of hell. So, that is casting out. What about just binding? Binding, what is that about? Well, um, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I mean, because the devil can bind too. He binds people up in fear. You know, the people are bound, they're paralyzed, they are nervous wrecks, they're insecure. In verse 12, it says, Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms, for they are a powerful class of demon gods, the evil spirits, and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. In other words, they're binding it. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides you. So you're protected as you confront this slanderer that bind is holding the the, the 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 people in bondage. You confront this slanderer for you 
are destined for all things and will rise victorious. And so that's how you handle the devil when he's binding things, but also we have the power of binding and loosening ourselves. Hmm. Matthew 16, verses 17 through 19, NIV translation, please. Matthew 16, 17 through 19. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are the keys of the kingdom of heaven to bring heaven down on earth. Because whatever we bind is something that's already been bound in heaven. Whatever we loose is that which has already been loosed in heaven. That's the way it reads in the literal language. And so, he's saying, after Peter said to him, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah, the one we look for. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, that means little rock, and upon this rock, that's a different word for rock right there, Petros versus Petros, that's a different word for rock right there, and that's a large, large rock of Gibraltar type of a rock, Plymouth rock type of rock, solid, immovable rock, not a pickup rock and throw rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome it. What rock is that second word for rock? Because Peter is a little rock. He's a little rock. He's a stone, a chip off the old block. No pun intended. No. Just and upon this rock. What rock? The revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the foundation. And then because of this foundation that we all stand on, that are saved, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, because you represent heaven down here on this earth now. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Or, to put it you know, plainly and in more accuracy, whatever you forbid on earth will be that which is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you allow on earth will be that which is already allowed in heaven. And so you're not doing anything but echoing heaven down on earth. Matthew 16, 17 through 19, the Passion Translation says it like this. Jesus replied, You are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name, Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I'll build my church my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. And I will give you the key, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to refuse on, or excuse me, release on earth that which has been released in heaven. You see, that was the new pat or the trend, the passion translation, the new, you know, newly released translation of a couple years ago that got it right. NIV says it like this, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, this is in Matthew 18, 18 through 20, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth 
agree about anything they ask for. It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So two or three people getting together to forbid something from happening or to permit something to happen that is permitted in heaven. It shall be done. And that's the clout that you have. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. It exponentially increases. And the last thing I want to mention is to crush the enemy. To crush the enemy. Genesis 3.15, when God got through talking to Adam and Eve, and they pointed God toward the devil who beguiled them, and then God had this to say about the devil in verse 15. He had a, a bit more, but I'm just going to go cut to the chase. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so that head crushing of the devil started way back there, that we are to crush the head of our enemy. Because in Romans 16, 20, it says this. You can turn there with me if you want. Romans 16, 20, reading from the mirror translation. And we're going to learn right here, and we're going to close in just a minute because we're finished with the podcast almost. That God desires to demonstrate his reign of peace in us by confirming Satan's defeat in our practical day-to-day experience. And so here it is in chapter 16 of Rome, Romans and verse 20. God, who is the author of our peace, shall quickly and utterly trample Satan, doing it with your feet. Your victory is realized in the revelation of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and echoed, personalized in your amen. In the Passion Translation, it puts it like this, and the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet and the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Wherever we set the soles of our feet, God gives us the territory. And if it's occupied by evil forces, and I mean situations, circumstances, even places, literally, but especially situations, circumstances where the enemy's trying to keep a foothold that he's gained, uh, we will expose him, we will oppose him, we will resist him in the name of Jesus, we will tell him where he's got to go, go, leave. Flee, for I resist you in the name of Jesus, Satan, and you have to go and bow your knee, because greater is he that's in sight of me than thee. And so when we are faced with something that seems to be demonic, that we sense something spiritual there, anything that seems to be unreasonable, illogical, there's most likely a spiritual connection to it. Um, And so we just need to make sure inside of our heart And if God so wants us to do the whole nine yards of casting the devil out and sealing him and binding him, you know how you bind him? You bind him by commanding him to stay, commanding him in the name of Jesus, stay. I forbid you to move back against me or my people or my situation or circumstance. I forbid it. I block it. I stop you. 
and I bind you. Because the word bind and the word loose is the same as permit and forbid. And so it's a matter of forbidding any more activity, any more nonsense. And you don't have to tolerate it. Don't put up with it. Don't use the excuse that you're just too tired and you forgot about it. Just let it go. No. Get rid of it. Move it out. Exercise your God-given right and authority. And you don't have to make a scene because the devil loves scenes. You don't have to make no scene. You see Jesus trying to make a scene? Jesus actually moved before the crowd came or told the people after he helped them, don't tell anybody. Just keep it to yourself. (laughs) That'd be hard to do, but he didn't want people to follow him just because of the, of the sensational and the supernatural. He wants people to follow him because of the demonstration of the Father's love for people, because of the value, the increase of value that we receive through our relationship with Jesus. So, as you value human rights and human existences and human experiences in your own personal life, extend that to others as well. And be ready in a twinkling of an eye, in a heartbeat, in a moment's notice to stop in its tracks, the forces of hell. And you can do it with a whisper because there's not power more in the shouting to expel. It's a matter of knowing who you are and what your rights are and using your authority well. In the name of Jesus, bring peace with you wherever you go. And the God of peace is crushing him and all of his kingdom under your feet swiftly. And those you set free will surely be able to tell for their witness will speak of their rescue from the jaws of hell. Thank you for tuning in again. Thank you for listening intently and taking notes and moving right through the scriptures with me. I love and appreciate you all. Until next time.